Hello, Gary Williams here. Welcome to my In Conversation podcast, a mishmash of chit-chats with friends and influencers across the world. Now, many of these interviews were recorded over Zoom, so apologies for any dodgy audio quality. And if you want to watch the videos on YouTube or get in touch, head over to my website, garywilliams.co.uk. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. Gary Williams again here, reaching out to friends and colleagues all over the world, really, who are working in the creative industry just to see how all of us are coping in these unprecedented times. And I'm very, very happy to have a very accomplished fella sitting there waiting for me, Stephen Maddox, Chief Executive of the CBSO. Hello, Stephen. Hi, good afternoon. And uh, you were just telling me you're slightly red in the face because? I was doing my, my... Um, hour of permitted exercise, you know, the government mandated exercise. But on this occasion, I'm basically a fair weather cyclist and the fair weather has come. So I feel I ought to be out on my bike. But usually the first, you know, three or four bike rides of the year are absolute agony. Um, but we bought, a, we bought an exercise bike at Christmas. So I'm feeling the benefit of all that. All those times I was in front of the football um, doing my 10k without leaving the sitting room now. So do the, do the, um, the fair citizens of the West Midlands have the treat of seeing you in cycling shorts three times a week? No, no, no. I, uh, th- there is one pair of shorts that technically are meant for cycling, but there is no lycra involved. <laughs> that, that, nobody... for everybody. So uh, where are you, you are in the West Midlands. I, I mean, whereabouts are you? A little bit more specifically. So I'm at home in Solihull. Um, so I, I live about half an hour's drive from central Birmingham. Very nice and leafy and green around here, I have to say. But we live on a main road, so we still see a certain amount of traffic and uh, no trains, alas. We live right next to Solihull Station and there's, you know, the trains are now down to... You're probably quite up. glad of the peace and quiet, aren't you? Yeah, it's quite quiet. It's strange, actually. I mean, we're also very close to Solihull Airport, though not, not generally on the, on the flight path. But it, it's, it's really curious, isn't it? I mean, the world seems so very quiet. Uh, and so in many ways, you know, rather lovely and peaceful. I mean, particularly now we have the good weather at the moment. Exactly. So your, uh, your job, you've been doing, I think, I mean, for as long as I can remember, it must be at least 10 years or something. You've been, uh, and, and double it and add a bit more. So to, 21 years this year. Oh, really? Wow. In the same job? That's unheard of. Yeah. You must be very Indeed. good. It's not recommended at all, but uh, I... I do enjoy it. I mean, I enjoy, you know, the, the, the thousands and thousands of concerts I've been able to uh, enjoy in that time, and not least because this year is the CBSO's centenary. So in a sense, you know, an unprecedented um, shutdown of all musical activities is to come at the worst possible time for us, really. We had, um, we had a fantastic tour of Europe that was cancelled 36 hours before we went last month. Oh, it was meant to wow. include three concerts in the amazing Musikverein in Vienna and concerts in Paris and Amsterdam and, you know, major European cities. And uh, we have another four tours this year, um, you know, some of which may happen, some of which may not. So at the moment we're in, we're in the hands of the authorities. So it's a, the, the, it's a strange the experience. It takes, the time that it takes to plan and organising a tour, I mean, the personnel that you've got involved, that is, I mean, it's insane that all that should be for naught. Yeah, I mean, this, you know, this European tour in March, we've been working on for about three years. And, you know, the schedule, the schedule involved and the moving the instruments, moving the people, all the flights to and fro, the hotel bookings, the trains, the coaches, you know, all of this stuff. It's absolutely 
masses of, of kind of logistics. Um, and, and of course, you just know, give us an idea, Stephen, how many, how many people are we talking about when the orchestra tours? It's, it's about 100 people in total, including staff. And then usually we take our own instrument truck with about six million quids worth of instruments on. We, and of course, six months ago, our major concern about that was this was going to be our first tour post-Brexit. Uh, and, you know, what would that mean for instruments getting in and out of the country? So we spent a lot of time working on the logistics of, of all of that. Um, and uh, generally, the instruments are doing one schedule, the, the people are doing a different schedule, the conductor, the soloist doing a different schedule as well. And then, of course, we don't need all the musicians for every concert, so some musicians have their own individual schedules. We take them on separate flights, separate hotels, all of that. It's, it's really like a small military campaign really? um, for every tour. And we, at the moment, we've been working on about 10 tours simultaneously. So I, it's, I wonder uh, something like losing a tour, like the one you've just described, what does that do to the orchestra's finances? What effect? Well, when you, yeah, when you lose one at very short notice, which has never happened before in the orchestra's uh, 100 years um, of existence, um, you know, the worst case would be, you know, you, you've still got all of the expenditure or nearly all of the expenditure, but none of the income. So if, if we were ever to lose a tour that was from some, I don't know, some incompetence of our own or something like that, but that where the rest of the world was generally still operating, then that would be catastrophic from that point of view. I'd say with this one, it was, it was about £550,000 of income and about... 520 of cost, so very small margin on tours, small profit on this one would have been. Um, in the end, we've managed to get away with a, only about 100,000 of that cost, so only about 20% of the total costs because we were able to cancel some hotels. I mean, it's much easier when, you know, when the cities are closed. I mean, there was, there was some, we had a sort of interesting uh, existential conversation with a few hotels where they said, yeah, we're still going to charge you if you cancel. And we would say, yeah, but you're closed. How could, you know, how could we possibly pay you for rooms? You know, if I turn up tonight, you won't let me in. I'm glad it wasn't just me having those kind of conversations. Yeah, it's just, you know. So, so I'd say in the end, with some good negotiating by, by our agents and various other things worked on, we managed to, to get away with only a, a, about a fifth of the cost. But still, you know, that, that meant, you know, it's had a six-figure impact on our budget, you know, right at the end of the financial year. So quite, quite tough. And if we end up having to con cancel all our Birmingham concerts until the end of the season, which at the moment, I don't know, we've cancelled through till mid-May. Will I, will I get to do concerts in June? No idea at this point. That what, would be about another six or 700,000. Right, and the season ends when? A end of June. So end right, of June. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, and you know. what, what, what effect, I mean, I, I guess you furloughed the, uh, a new word, which I'd never, nobody had ever knew before. So. It's everyone's favourite word, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, so the, the, the players have been furloughed and the staff? So, so yeah, so, so, so basically from the day in which, you know, we did our last concert on the 10th of March, um, we did it extraordinary, actually, you know, Bruckner Symphony that we were about to take on tour, which we did in Symphony Hall. And after the concert, everyone was going around, uh, you know, in floods of tears and probably hugging each other, which they shouldn't have been doing. But anyway, you know, because I think everyone realised this might be our last concert for quite some time. So the orchestra has not been able to work since the 12th of March. So we are we are effectively furloughing them from that date. Um, and, you know, luckily, 
I think the government, after you know a, a slow start, was quite quick off the mark with the financial packages. Actually, I mean they're not perfect for everyone, but the you know the the two main packages, one for employed um, people, which is the, this furloughing job retention scheme, which is aimed at making sure people don't lose their jobs. And then there's a separate scheme for freelancers, um, self-employed. So a lot of the self-employed musicians who come to us as as extra players mm. are able to apply to so that one. Um, glaring uh, omission in the help that the government are given, which has affected a lot of musicians quite profoundly, hasn't it? You know what I'm going to say? Yes. Well, I, I think there's two or three problems with the self-employed scheme, aren't there? One yeah. is that it's got an upper, upper limit that is far too low yes and there's something to do with personal services companies as well oh i don't know and about that. i i i, I th that that i have have read in a few places mm. but go go on what what what, what well what was you know, i personally know a few musicians well actually a lot of musicians because many of the musicians who work in the west end will earn more they're, they're, they're self-employed and they earn yep. Fifty thousand pounds a year. Now I know that's a lot more than the average salary for somebody in the UK. But when you're living in, in central London, London. It's, it's, you know, it does not go a long way. These people are not living lavish lifestyles, and the fact that people who are employed, who may earn more than well, who do earn more than fifty thousand pounds, will still get the upper limit of the government's help of two and a half thousand pounds, as I understand. Correct. Exactly. But if you're self-employed and you earn more than fifty thousand pounds, you get nothing. Not the same, or even a little bit less, or something. You get nothing. It makes no sense, and it's devastatingly. It's had a devastating impact on the lives of many musicians and technical staff who I know. I I don't know what the thinking is behind that. Do you? I, I, I it, well, I think it was uh, as often with these things when governments do things at haste. You know, you end up with legislation that is just not very well drafted. Mm. I, so I don't. I think their intentions were right. I think somebody said, "Look, we've got to make sure this doesn't apply to, you know, barristers. You know, barristers, for instance, are one of the things that's quoted often who are, who are self-employed but earn a fortune. Um, probably not footballers. Actually, I think we we think that most of the most sports people probably are employed if they belong to a team. But you know, you can imagine." You know, famous actors. I mean, you know, there, there are people in the self-employed category who earn a great deal and they wanted to exclude it from that. Mm. But they could have done that by either setting the limit much, much higher or saying, however much you earn, it's up to that £2,500 cap. I think that's what they should and do. It's funny that, that, that we, we say barristers and we always think of barristers. One of my flatmates in, in London is a barrister. And uh -huh. mind me telling you, I mean, she does not earn that much money. There are, there are some barristers like some yes. musicians, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the majority actually do not, and, and the majority. I mean, you know, it's 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 um it's it's very difficult if if you're you know if you're around just over that fifty grand uh, limit, and, uh, and and even a barrister. Right. You know, I, I know that it's it's you know that a lot of people won't. It seems odd to feel sorry for barristers or feel sorry for people that earn more than fifty grand, but it is. It's. Uh... But, but it's the cliff edge aspect of it, isn't it? That's the you know the point you make, which is that it goes from you know forty nine 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 here have your thirty grand a year equivalent, fifty thousand and one nothing, and that seems absurd <laughs> really at that point. And the and the it was a very good having. I, I'm I'm I have, you know. A-level maths, and maths is one of my abiding passions alongside music, and it was a classic example of um, figures being used in a way that is intended to obscure rather than to enlighten. So what the government said was, the 5% the of self-employed people who earn more than this 
earn an average of £200,000 a year. In other words, saying that they're rich. And whenever you talk about incomes, whenever statisticians talk about incomes, they always talk about median. Who's the person in the middle? Not what is the arithmetic mean? Because, of course, if you take a whole lot of people, but one of them is Bill Gates. Yeah. Yeah, or one of them in this case maybe is, I don't know, Richard Branson or somebody. Mm. Then, of course, the, the, the average, the mean, is going to be really, really high. Mm. But most of the people are going to be down at a much lower number. And I thought it was a classic example of sort of dubious um, science being used to, to justify what, what was what just a bad... Richard Branson's fault. I knew it. I, I mean, usually, usually it is. But, <laughs> you know, on this occasion, probably too. So well. I know, uh, I've known you for a long time, and I, one thing that I've always, still surprises me now, uh, delightfully, is that you go to almost, I think, every single concert. And I always say <laughs> to you, Whack, you, you know, you do not get bored, you must have a home to go to, you're still here. But you really do love it, don't you? I do, and I, you know, for me, I mean, my background before I worked at CBSO was I, I worked at the BBC Proms, and I was involved in artistic planning. So all my career, I've been around artists and performance and putting on concerts. Um, and, you know, the, the thing that will be written on my gravestone is the shameless go on. So you can imagine how I'm feeling at the moment with no shows going on. It's devastating. We'd only lost, I've only cancelled three concerts in my entire career up till this point, And now I'm cancelling three a week. Um, but for me, I just want to hear how it, how it turns out. I mean, you know, no one's going to go into working in classical music management in this country, either for the riches or indeed for, you know, everything being easy and, and glamorous. You know, the amount of time I've spent, you know, waiting at service stations for coach journeys to carry on on tour or, you know, kind of fetching toasted sandwiches for conductors who are too lazy to fetch them for themselves or whatever it is. Lots of it is not very glamorous. Dealing with the Arts Council, dealing with Birmingham City Council, you know, has good days and bad days, dealing with finance and pensions, God knows what, all of that. But however complicated the day is, at the end of the day, two or three times a week, I get to walk up to Symphony Hall, best concert hall in the country, one of the best in the world, sit in my favourite seat and listen to a concert that I've helped plan. So, you know, that's what makes it all worthwhile. That is, it, it is the most direct connection between input and... Outputs, you know, job satisfaction of I guess what I see, when you see at the end of a concert applauding or standing on their feet. I mean, it's it, it you can feel it takes some satisfaction in that, can't you? Because all of that dealing with pensions and the administration and the arts count, all the rest that's what it's for, isn't it? It's it's led towards that goal, and you know, I mean, what we do, I absolutely I think we're all being very reflective at the moment, aren't we? You know, what we do isn't as important as being a doctor or saving lives, though we have many, many doctors involved with the CBSO in different ways in our courses and so you know it's not as important as, as some of the really you know absolutely critical services but I think for all of us you know we want there to be a world beyond just what we do for a living we want to you know to have things to enjoy as somebody said you know try if you don't think there's a value in artists and writers and you know poets and musicians and so on try surviving a lockdown without them what are yeah. people doing at the moment they're all you know, listening to music, watching TV, watching... We watched the National Theatre, um, you know, One Man, Two Governors on, on TV last night. We, we, you know, we're watching films. We're immersing ourselves in, in, in reading and in listening to things. I mean, you know, it's, it's the musicians and the poets and the playwrights and the filmmakers who make life worth living. 
Absolutely. So it may be the doctors who help us to live, but you know, that's, it's so important what we do, I think. Do you hope, or do you think that, because there's two sort of trains of thought on this, two ideas on this, that when this thing is over, do you think people are going to be very slow and tentative and nervous about going to see live music? Or do you think people are going to be so eager to get back out there that there's going to be a real bounce? I think probably both schools of thought are right. I think there will be people who will, particularly those in the high-risk group, I have a family member who's in a high-risk group who's got letter from the government, all of that, who's going to have to continue to be cautious, at least until there's reliable vaccines and, and universal testing. Um, but I also think there's going to be a lot of pent-up demand from people. Uh, I mean, actually, you know, if you have got a job and you carry on earning what you're earning at the moment, you're working from home or whatever, um, you've probably saved a bit of money these months. You're not going out, you're not eating out, you're not going to the cinema, you're not buying stuff, you know. I think, I think people will want to go out and, and be entertained. And I think they'll also want to go, once it's safe to do so, to spend time in company. I mean, I think, you know, the reason live music is so important, the reason people come to, you know, we put on concerts and people come to them, rather than just sitting at home and listening to Spotify, is it is that thing of the shared experience. I mean, you know what it's like. You've, you've worked that audience in Symphony Hall. You absolutely know how it is that once you have that interaction between the stage and the audience, it's a completely different thing and it's incredibly valuable and people go away with a you know, wonderful experience that they, that they remember and they cherish. And I think people are going to want to get back to that as soon as it's safe to do so, actually. Mm. So I, I'm quite optimistic about that. Yeah, yeah, me too. And um, I mean, of course, we don't know, nobody knows when this is going to end. And uh, I was just talking to friends of the, uh, the Liverpool Phil about you know, what their thoughts are and so on. But it seems... Certainly in, uh, in, in, in uh, touring theatre and in the West End, the, the, the word that I'm getting is that people are certainly um, committing to shows sort of in the autumn, September, October is coming yeah. up a lot. Um, have you, I mean, is the orchestra uh, working then if, if, we, if we are able to go and see music then? Well, I hope so. I mean, actually, we have another, our next but two large tour is to the USA. We haven't toured the USA in more than 20 years. And we have a three-week coast-to-coast tour of the USA in October, which, you know, we are still very much planning for at the moment. I mean, it will not be in our gift as to whether it happens or not, I, I suspect. And, of course, the USA has, you know, in, in, in some cities certainly handled this not, not so well. But um, I, think, I think things that are across the summer, it, it's really only 50-50 at the moment. But I would be pretty hopeful at this point that we'll be able to do some things come September, October. I mean, it may be that it's not exactly the same things. I think, you know, one of the things we're looking at is, is there a way of introducing elements of social distancing within the concert hall in in terms of where people sit, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe having some areas of the hall that are sat less densely so that people can have a bit more space between, Mm -hmm. Um, particularly if we're going to get into the, what we really need, which is the sort of um, antibody test that demonstrates to people whether they've had it or not, and thus whether they're immune. Because people who know that and have the, you know, the badge, the certificate, the whatever it is that shows they're immune, they should have no concerns about these things. But people who are high risk and have not yet had it may want to still be acting with a lot of caution. So, yeah, my sense is by, by the autumn, we, we ought to be back in business, albeit it might be a it might look a little bit different for a while. I mean, some things might look a bit different for quite some time. Well, I'm going to have a, 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 a little um, 
private hope that one of the things that's going to change is that maybe you'll get back uh, on stage with your violin and, and be playing in the orchestra perhaps you'll be, maybe, 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 <laughs> hey we're not that desperate yet the first concert <laughs> back you know because you, you <laughs> when did you last when did you last play your violin so so about a year ago we had a cbso play along day for sort of lapsed adult amateurs is that and i uh, very lapsed uh, <laughs> and i i went along and played and um, it was one of these side-by-side -side things. So there were the professional musicians from the CBSO alongside the game amateurs like me. Uh, and of course, there were volunteers um, all throughout the day from our own first violin sections wanting to come and sit next to me. But I managed to just duck and dive to an extent that I never had to sit next to anyone. It was, um, it was, it was a real, real shock to the system. I, I used to, you know, I used to play to a reasonable level, up to when I was at university, but then not really very seriously after well, that. Well, you you've now, now is the time. You have no excuse. Now is the time. Uh, <laughs> hey, there are still people who live in this house with me. <laughs> they, they, get, they get a say in this. <laughs> Stephen, it's so nice to connect with you. So nice to talk to you. I'm glad to see that you're still in great spirits as ever, despite these challenging times. And honestly, I cannot wait for one for, to, to hear when, Things get back to normal and live music is back in concert halls, especially in yours, the, the best in the country. Thank you for talking to us today. Absolutely. Keep well. Thanks for talking. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch and hear more interviews just like this one, head over to my website, garywilliams.co.uk.